Ah, well, hello there, everybody. Welcome back to The Practical Woodsman. I'm Rut, your host. Yes, it's my genius that has brought this all into being. We are going to talk about some real interesting things this week, uh, or this episode, I should say. I want to look at topo maps. These are uh, topographical maps, and uh, a lot of people know how to read them, and a lot of people don't. But I'm planning a big uh, excursion coming up just in the next week or so, and uh, I wanted to show you how I use a topo map, as they're commonly called, to really get a sense of what I'm going to be uh, expecting out there, uh, how I create my itinerary kind of around that, and things of that nature. Also, I'm going to tell you about the only guy, one of only two people, who has ever survived a fall from the top of what's called a cumulonimbus thunderstorm cloud, fell all the way through it, and survived. Only two people have done that. Terribly, terribly dangerous. But if you like survival stories, you're going to like that. So stick around. Thanks for joining me this week, folks, by either watching or listening to The Practical Woodsman. I'm very pleased to have you with me here this week. I got two cameras set up because we're going to be doing some show and tell. Uh, but to get us started, I want to tell you a story about this guy named William Rankin. Maybe you guys have heard of him. Uh, I had not, and I just come across this story this week. It's so interesting. Um, imagine, if you will, yourself up in an airplane and you're flying high above you these cumulonimbus thunderstorm clouds you know what the, those what we're talking about we're talking about the ones that hang very low and stack very very high when you're up on an airplane flying from one place to another and you get up above there you know what i'm talking about you look out the the window of the airplane and you see them they're just towering like nuclear mushroom clouds miles up into the sky well imagine yourself jumping out of an airplane and knowing the turmoil the storm that is going on within that cloud and you're going to pass right through it well that happened to a couple of people believe it or not I'll tell you what there's nothing new under the sun is there <laughs> if it can be done it's been done so this guy's name is William Rankin Lieutenant Colonel William Henry Rankin. I'm getting this off of Wikipedia. But he wrote a book about it. It's called uh, The Man Who Rode the Thunder. So if you're interested in that, you know, the account from his own lips, so to speak, uh, look up his book. I, I intend to look it up and read it. The Man Who Rode the Thunder by William Henry Rankin. He was uh, died in 2009. Let's see. Born October 16, 1920 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, USA. Died July 6, 2009, aged 88, also in Pennsylvania. What a fascinating story this is. I, I really am looking forward to getting a hold of his book, but he goes, uh, it goes like this. Was one 
of only two known persons to survive a fall from the top of a cumulonimbus thunderstorm cloud. The other was Eva Wisniewska. He was a pilot, this William Henry Rankin. In the United States Marine Corps in a World War II and Korean War veteran, he was flying an F-8 Crusader jet fighter over a cumulonimbus cloud when the engine failed, forcing him to eject and parachute into the cloud. Um, you're going to see that this was not just a like a movie ejection where you just, phew, ah, and you kind of coast peacefully down to the ground. He, he was going almost Mach 1 when he ejected. On July 26, 1959, Rankin was flying from Naval Air Station South Weymouth, Massachusetts to Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort in South Carolina. He climbed over a thunderhead that peaked at 45,000 feet. Alexa, how tall is Mount Everest? Mount Everest is 29,032 feet above sea level. 29. Mount Everest is 29,000 feet high. He climbed over this thunderhead that peaked at 45,000 feet. Then at 47,000 feet, and at Mach 0.82, he heard a loud bump and rumble from the engine. The engine stopped, and a fire warning light flashed. He pulled the lever to deploy auxiliary power, and it broke off in his hand. It sounds like a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something, doesn't it? <laughs> the lever actually broke off in his hand. <laughs> Things are just going from bad to worse here. Next, you're going to expect me to say that he... Uh, he pulled the ripcord on his parachute and a, an anvil came out of it instead of the parachute. But no, this is true. He uh, heard a loud bump, engine stopped, fire warning, light flashed, pulls the lever, and it breaks off in his hand. Now, he's not wearing a pressure suit, but at 6 o'clock p.m., he ejected into the minus 50 degrees Celsius, that's minus 58 degrees Fahrenheit, air. He suffered immediate frostbite, and decompression caused his eyes, ears, nose, and mouth to bleed. His abdomen swelled severely. It says he did, however, manage to make use of his emergency oxygen supply. Now, get this, five minutes after he abandoned the plane, so you're up way up there, way up above Mount Everest. You jump out. It's just one thing going bad after the other. Ejects out into that uh, into that atmosphere, not wearing a pressure suit, and just suffers immediately. Now it's five minutes later. The, the wording of this is just uh, very interesting. Five minutes after he abandoned the plane, like he's just walking around, like twiddling his thumbs or something. No, he's fallen for five minutes. Five minutes fallen. His parachute had not opened. While in the upper regions of the thunderstorm, with near zero visibility, the parachute opened prematurely instead of at 10,000 feet because the storm had affected the barometric parachute switch and caused it to open. After 10 minutes, Rankin was still aloft, carried by updrafts and getting hit by hailstones. Can you imagine? Can, I mean, we down here on the planet Earth, when one of those storms pass over, we get it pretty hard, don't we? Imagine being right in the cloud, getting just 
beat to death with hailstones and wind and all sorts of things. Violent spinning and pounding caused him to vomit. Lightning appeared, which he described as blue blades several feet thick and thunder that he could feel. The rain forced him to hold his breath to keep from drowning. Have you ever been in rain, such a torrential downpour rain, that you had to hold your breath so you wouldn't drown? Uh, I have, maybe, maybe, in the shower. Says one lightning bolt lit up his parachute, making Rankin believe he had, believe he had died. Eventually, conditions calmed. He descended into a forest. His watch read 6.40 p.m. It had been 40 minutes since he ejected. Imagine that, being bounced around inside that violent storm cloud for 40 minutes, just expecting to... I mean, that is amazing that he, that he reached the ground safely. He searched for help and was eventually admitted into a hospital at Ahoski, North Carolina. He suffered from frostbite, welts, bruises, and severe decompression. Rankin wrote The Man Who Rode the Thunder about his experience. Uh, this other person that they mentioned, Eva Wisniewska, equally interesting. But if you look up William Rankin on Wikipedia, you'll see her. You can uh, It's linked, so you can click on her name and read all about her story. I'm not going to tell you about it today. I don't want to, don't want this to turn into the story hour or anything like that, but I did want to tell you about that experience because, man, I, I read that, did some more research on his story and just thought about that many days this week. Just, what would you do? What would you do? Well, you'd probably do what he did. <laughs> just hold on and hunker down and hope you make it to the ground. All right. Before we get started on this topo stuff, uh, let me give you an update on the pups. I have picked two, the, the two pups that I'm going to keep. Uh, I've got a name for one. I don't have a name for the other. Uh, I'll show you some pictures here or some video or something. Uh, the one with the blue collar, the the, uh, the yellow dog with the blue collar, uh, is Emerson. Named him after Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, somebody whose writings I... Uh, deeply, deeply connect with, and uh, it just seems like when I'm reading Ralph Waldo Emerson, that his views on things and uh, his very poetic and beautiful way of explaining certain parts of life and self-reliance, it's like he takes the words right out of my mouth. So uh, Emerson, and uh, hope and he and I are going to have a lot of great adventures. And I decided to keep a second one too. And I don't have a name for the second one. I got a few ideas, but if you guys want to email me or something and tell me what you think this fellow's name should be, uh, I will certainly take them into consideration. I'm not promising that I'll, I will use the name you suggest, but I, I'm always open to, to ideas. And uh, so give me give me what you think. Uh, you should be seeing some video of that and stuff. By the way, I know, as I mentioned in most shows, that uh, a lot of you are just listening to the audio. And uh, so I'm going to try to make this as interesting as I, as I possibly can. For those of you who are watching the video, of course, you can see the images of the pups. And you'll be able to see the images here, these topographical maps. Uh, before we get started on the topographical maps, once again, let me tell you that uh, I do have a an exclusive 
online community set up for the Practical Woodsman and everything related to it. All the discussions you want to have, you can have right there on, on this dedicated group that I've created. It's on the Locals platform, L-O-C-A-L-S dot com. So if you want to join, you just go to thepracticalwoodsman.locals.com. Uh, there's two tiers m- membership there. There's a free membership. You can see and uh, take advantage of most of the content I upload there. And then there is a modest paid tier, which uh, will go a long way in helping support what I'm trying to do here. Uh, but also to keep out the riffraff, it's also a free speech uh, platform. So, you know, you can talk about what you want to talk about, share the things you want to share. As long as it's not illegal, then 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 you're free to do that. Um, all right. As I said, I've got a couple got a, a camera set up here because I wanted to share <coughs> this uh, some of these topo maps with you. Now I ain't going to show you uh, the topo map for the area where I'm going to be here in the next couple weeks because for my own safety and this being the internet uh, I don't want to do that. But I've got plenty of maps here uh, that I save when I go on a trip or I do an excursion, I just save the maps and um, and then I have them. So <clears throat> I, I save them with all my markings and everything. I just want to show you folks. There's a new river gorge. All right, pull that out. I just want to show you guys how important these maps are to me. Very necessary. I, if I don't have a topographical map to analyze both before and both before I'm in the backcountry and during while I'm in the backcountry I feel pretty naked I really like to have the topographical map now a lot of you folks I'm sure uh, have practice using topographical maps but a lot of people don't so uh I thought it'd be worth talking about. The beautiful thing about a topographical map is once you get really used to using them, it's almost like looking at a 3D image. But it's not. It's a 2D image. But uh, instead of... The way that they illustrate depth on a topographical map is by lines, as you're going to see here. Uh, Let's do the Western Trail. I've also got an Appalachian Trail map here. I've got a New River Gorge map here for... The National River in West Virginia. So we'll just look at a few of them. And I've got my other camera set up here so that you folks can see exactly what I'm looking at and hopefully I can get a clear image on that. This is uh, the Western Trail in Pennsylvania. Now I think I told you folks about this trail. I did this a couple years back but it was, that was the second time that I had done this trail. The first time I'd done the trail was 13 years earlier or something like that. And uh, it, Backpacker Magazine had just done a story on the Western Trail in Pennsylvania. That's where I found out about it. And as soon as I read the article, I said, well, that's uh, right in my neck of the woods where I was living there at the time. Got to go do this thing. So I went and did the Western Trail then. And at that time, it was very rustic. It was very isolated. There, there weren't any... I, I, I didn't see anybody else 
uh, the entire time I was out there. Very remote, very wild, very unpolished. So you can imagine that I, I've been walking around for 12, 13 years, something like that, with this great opinion of the Western Trail. Well, a couple years ago, I'm telling my buddies about this just tremendously awesome backpacking trip, and I said, uh, you, you know, we should go out there and do that. Okay, they're going to go get them out there, and uh, it had been spoiled. It had been pretty spoiled. For the first uh, two, three hours, all we did was run into other people. I mean, I'm not kidding you. We must have passed 150 people, and uh, you folks have been listening to me or watching me for a while know that 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 is such a turnoff for me. I don't go out in the woods to experience some kind of friggin' Disneyland-like experience where you're walking behind people and on top of people and passing people and people... I'm not kidding you. People pushing baby carriages. I'm not kidding you. Out here in this supposed wild area. Um, Also, they had widened the trails and made it almost like pedestrian-like with gravel and picnic tables and it's just been totally and utterly ruined once we got out of that and got deep into the the hike it got a little bit better but my, my whole point here is that i'm not necessarily recommending that you go out and do the western trail because it's not it's not like it was when i first hiked it all those years ago so this is a topographical map and uh for short everybody calls them topo maps at least the the people I run around with. Now, one thing I always check out first is this right here, this elevation profile. I want to see the elevation profile. I want to see how I'm starting off. What is that a ball buster? Am I going to be starting off with a ball buster, or am I going to be ending with a ball buster? I mean, it's up to your preference. I would prefer like uh, I'm showing everybody here on the camera right here where it starts at mile zero mile post zero you're at like 1100 feet and then you've got this really steep climb to get up to elevation and then you're kind of hiking across this mountain range that is a a little bit less than a thousand foot climb just straight up now the reason why the elevation profile is so nice is because maybe I maybe I say, well, I'd rather end my trip by going down that rather than start my trip by climbing up it, because that's a, that's a lot of effort, a lot of effort to start a trip. But think about this: you look down here at mile 19, and actually this is only half of the thing. Look over here at mile 30; it's no better. <laughs> those of you who are watching on the camera it you've got an even bigger climb coming if you were to start the opposite direction you've got an even greater climb i mean it's almost 2000 feet from bottom to top so i'd say to myself well based on that profile there's just no getting away that getting around that enormous climb there to beginning so let's start there so the elevation profile, even though it is not technically, it doesn't have anything to do with topographics. Uh, it's a it's a really nice feature on these maps to help you kind of determine what what kind of roller coaster am I looking at here. Now here's something that's probably going to hurt some feelings. Um, 
but I'll be honest about it. When I moved out to New England, I was very excited to uh, just all the wilderness out there, all the mountain wilderness. And I was really looking forward to getting out of the White Mountains and stuff like that. And I was working for a hospital and uh, started trying to find folks within the hospital to uh, go out into the White Mountains with me and really get lost out there in the, the wilds. And uh, New England is not... Uh, it's just not the politics of the place are just not to my liking whereas West Virginia Pennsylvania Kentucky uh, their wild areas are truly wild uh, you really you, you get out there and, and it's you against the, the land and uh, not a lot of uh, places require in any type of pay permits or anything like that uh, New England was not like that New England was very controlled and regulated uh, which I hated and uh, so it kind of ruined it for me but another thing is that uh, places like Kentucky West Virginia Pennsylvania uh, a lot of resources, a lot of free resources for getting out into the wild a lot of uh, free topographical maps, a lot of free information available about those wild wilderness areas. And uh, in New England, it's all tightly controlled. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't find a single website offering any free, valuable information about these wilderness areas where I wanted to go What when I was in New England, talking about like the White Mountains and stuff like that. It's like the governments up there, uh, the state governments, like firmly control that stuff and um, milk you milk you for your money uh, for what should be uh, open lands to all for free uh, or you know at least your tax your tax money should at least provide for those things or at least there should be plenty of people able to upload that stuff to the internet or, or to their own websites and stuff like that and make it freely available to all I'm going to give you a website that I want you to uh, check out if you're on the East Coast, if you're interested in getting out into the backcountry in Pennsylvania, uh, West Virginia, Virginia, uh, and I think Maryland too. Uh, it's midatlantichikes.com. So there you go. My secret's out. Midatlantichikes.com. And uh, that has been provided by, let me see here. So there's, I'm showing off this book right now. It's called Backpack in Pennsylvania, 37 Great Hikes, uh, written by Jeff Mitchell. And it's either by followers of Jeff Mitchell or the website is was created by him, or I, I'm not sure. But uh, really fantastic book as far as backpacking. I mean, a lot of these resources you find offer resources for hiking. But as I've explained in the past, that's not something that's really interesting to me. If I look and it says like the hike is 10 miles, uh, I don't even bother with it. It's got to be like 30 miles, 28, 30 miles before I even take it seriously because I reckon that that's what it requires to truly get out away from people and things. So, But um, midatlantichikes.com and uh, a companion to that would be this backpack in Pennsylvania. But the midatlantichikes.com is, is great because it includes uh, several states. And uh, when you go to the page, 
included in every one of those hikes that I, I believe is a downloadable free topographical map very detailed free topographical map that you can download and plan your trip all right so be sure to check that out and you know if you enjoy that thank thank the creator of the website and uh, let me know let me know how it works out for you so let's go back to this topographical map here this is the west rim trail as you can see here uh you it all looks like blobs right lines creating like these blob-like figures now imagine that you're up in the air looking down at the mountain these lines represent depth and height but they only they don't only represent that they also represent the steepness of the ascents and the descents or the steepness of the mountain mountain sides so looking at this right here you folks who are just listening i'm showing kind of a a thick blob looking picture here on the topographical map you get a, a pointer here let me get a pointer yeah that's the ticket a pointer poindexter right here so you see that these blobs here these blobs here are very widely spaced apart you see the lines are very widely spaced apart and before we go too much further let me show you one other thing here let's imagine I'm going to do a drawing right here so let's imagine that this is a mountain i'm drawing a picture of just a a mountain and imagine that this these lines here show different elevations all right now if you were to look at this mountain from the top what you might see is this <laughs> it looks like a looks like a breast and a nipple but as the lines come out like this you see you see how the 3d image starts to emerge now imagine that you're looking from the air down at the top of this mountain this is what you would see if we were illustrating it with just two-dimensional lines all right kind of looks like a bullseye but now here's something interesting about these topographical maps they don't only show you that but do you see here on this topographical map so we go from here which this is not a this is not a very steep climb if you're if you're hiking through here this is not difficult you're, you're not going to strain or kill yourself oh another thing i wanted to say about new england backpacking uh, a lot of people do like the peaks like the, their whole drive is to top every peak in the white mountains or something like that if there is a more pointless activity out there i don't know what it is as far as based on my philosophy for being out in the woods i have no interest whatsoever whatsoever in spending all day climbing to the top of a mountain turning around and climbing down the mountain and then another weekend doing that again i have no interest in that the reason why I go to a top of a mountain is because I'm on my way somewhere else. Not because I'm just, my whole point is to get to the top of a bunch of, a bunch of mountains. It's just utterly pointless to me. That's what I said it was going to hurt people's feelings. And that's just really the way I feel about it. I think it's just stupid, and I have no interest in that whatsoever. It doesn't put me in touch with nature. People out there in New England doing it aren't in touch with nature. My point is, is that you're not immersed in nature when you're out there it's again it's kind of like a disneyland atmosphere the objective 
is not to get lost in lush forest or anything like that. No, it's to get to the top of a thing, turn around and go down. I'll tell you, I was just truly very disappointed with my that that whole experience out in New England because uh, it was the whole reason I accepted the job offer out there for the years that I lived out there was because I thought, man, all these wilderness opportunities out here. And then I come to find out that the only thing people are interested out there is topping the mountains, just climbing to the top, climbing back down. No interest in getting lost out there. And, uh, you know, really immersing themselves into just forest. No, they want to climb to the top, take some pictures, and then climb back down. And they want to continue doing that so that then they can have bragging rights that, yeah, I've done all five or six or ten or however many there are. Just not interesting to me at all. Okay, so back to the topo map. You see here, as you get here to this ridge, what do you see happening on this map? These lines that were very far spaced apart, these circular lines which show kind of like the 3D image of the mountain coming up, they get steeper and steeper and steeper. They get The lines get so close together, they actually turn dark. You see that? What does that, what is that illustrating? That's illustrating steepness. Yeah, steepness. So while I could walk across that all day long and not break a sweat, if I climbed up this right here, just looking at that, I know that that would just, it would annihilate me. I don't even know if I could climb that. It's so steep. So topo maps really are a wonderful, wonderful tool. Now look up here, all right, you see some other shaded areas, right, where the lines, the topographical lines come together so close that you, you start to get a shade effect, actually. You see how that gives you an idea of the steepness of these canyons and these hollers and everything. And you got this river running down through here. A river runs through it. And uh, so you've really got, you're starting to get an idea or a concept or a feeling of the steepness and the heights and the drop-offs and things like that that we're talking about. Now this is the Western Trail. And this is a, like an official map of the Western Trail. Here's an unofficial map of the Western Trail. Here's my map of the Western Trail. And I have this marked and I wanted to show you what I do here. I printed this off super big. You folks watching the video can see here that I have printed this off on multiple sheets of paper. And this is my original map from like years, years back. And you see that I've, I write notes on my map. And what I do is when I'm planning my itinerary, I'm taking into consideration all these high climbs and everything, these elevation changes. And I'm using that to guesstimate how many miles I can realistically cover without killing myself, without turning it into a race against time. I think I've told you in the past that I plan for like between six and 10 miles is like my average. And a lot of people scoff at that. Those people aren't out there for the same reason I am. When I see something interesting, I want to be able to stop. I want to be able to enjoy it. I want to be, a, be able to experience it and study it. I want to be able to deviate from my original plan and come back and continue and things of this nature. So these highlighted areas that you see on my map, I've got camp one and I've got the mileage, the estimated mileage from our starting point. 
5.86 miles. And do you see here that there is no elevation change? So the, this red dotted line right here is, is the trail. Now what do you see that we're doing? We're hugging the side of this enormous canyon. Right here, I hope that you folks can see this who are watching the video, but right here we stray from the edge of this canyon and actually right here too, you see this? This is actually an elevation change. So we're leaving the edge of the canyon and we're climbing a kind, kind of a gentle climb right here. Not anything super difficult. Continuing right along the lip of the canyon right here. This is called incidentally the Grand Canyon of Pennsylvania. And if you ever go out there you'll understand why and maybe that's why it's turned into such a friggin Disneyland now. But right around here you're kind of hugging the canyon. This shaded area here is where the lines of the topography have become so close together it's showing just how steep that that canyon is. That is an enormous, enormous drop-off. Then here we stray away and again we're crossing these topographical lines here and that's showing <clears throat> that we're actually climbing and descending right here you see if you're looking down from the sky these circles here spreading outward would be the mountain the top of the mountain the peak of the mountain and the spread of the mountain uh, spreading out below it and we kind of come up along the, the the around the side of it here and here now what happens right here we go down into a deep canyon and we come right back out come around here now here's what I wanted to show you I've got marked on my map hope everybody can see this camp one and I got camp two alternative I always do this on my excursions when I'm planning my itinerary I never just plan camp like I'm going to camp in that spot right there or in that area right there never do that I always plan for an alternative further beyond I might plan for two alternatives I might plan for an alternative before my preferred camp area and another alternative after my preferred camp area but the idea is flexibility you don't know what conditions are going to be when you get out there you want to be adaptable and flexible so that's what I do I try to find water if at all possible and I try to set my camp next to water what's this say here okay camp 1 5.86 miles sharp left at Rex Ford trail parallel to stream so you see there on my first camp which you know I, I planned this out something like 13 13 years ago 14 years ago I tried to make sure that my first camp was a reasonable distance approximately six miles on the first day and that it was next to water that it would be next to water and I'd have water all night what I do with the second camp second camp alternative same thing water there there's a stream coming through there I also mark points of interest on my topographical map so right here I've got waterfalls marked I've got vistas marked I've got roads any crossroads I've got those marked and the t the average uh, distance the mileage 
camp two, so this would be on the second night. I've got it at 16.37 miles in. The difference with this one is that on the first day, if you can see here on the top topo map, we, we did not have a lot of elevation changes planned. Here's what you want to keep in mind. Elevation change, dramatic elevation change, is going to set you back hours on time that you think that you might be able to do a thing. I'll never forget the first time I went out there planning, I think it was a 40-mile trip, and uh, I just thought, well, I can hike 20 miles a day. Easy. Yeah. If I were to get up in the morning and go out to the mall, by the way, where I live currently, there are no malls, but if I lived in the city and I went to the mall, nine o'clock, you know, I could walk around for four or five hours and put in 20 miles, no problem. What people don't take into account on the first try, on the first time they, they're going out to do something like this, is that a mile at the mall is not a mile in the backcountry, because at the mall everything's flat, and you got to go to the bathroom. Bathroom's right there. You need water. Water's right there. Heck, you can go and get yourself a soda pop. But that's not true out in the backcountry. What else is not true out in the backcountry that is true at the mall? Controlled environment. You're not going to get rained on. You're not going to be you suffer any sun exposure. Uh, no thunderstorms going to pop up and send you huddling underneath some uh, saplings or anything like that. Temperature is constant. That's not true in the backcountry. Uh, all these things take a toll on you, and uh, you end up having to stop and rest or cool down or warm up or. Uh, hydrate for a lot longer than you'd have to hydrate at the mall. So a lot of things to take in cons into consideration. But when I'm looking at the topographical map, I instantly start to get an idea of the effort I'm going to have to put into that day. And on this first day, there wasn't a whole lot of elevation change. It was just kind of rolling hills, kind of following right along the, the edge of the canyon. But then on the second day, look what happens on this topographical map. Right here, we're going down, actually we're kind of going around and down, and then up, kind of saddling alongside that. Here is some elevation change. Um, and so that's going to affect the mileage that you can put in. The more elevation change you have, whether that's going up or going down, by the way, we have a saying when we're out there. What goes up has to come down. What goes down has to come up. I mean, it seems like as soon as you get down, uh, there's just no rest for the weary. Yeah. The the topographical map or the route that you've chosen will have you going right back up and vice versa. You get up, you do all this work to get up to the top of a thing, and then the you just got to go right back down. So, But that's what, it's, that's what it is. And... Uh, you know, I've said in other videos that uh, climbing and those elevation changes are not pleasant for me, to be perfectly honest about it. But it's like life. It's like life. In that, life is full of a lot of sad and painful moments, is, isn't it? And uh, unpleasant things. But doesn't the rest of it make the journey worth the trouble? Yeah, sure does. All the amazing things you see along the way, the experiences you have around camp, the, I mean, getting away from people, it all makes it worth it. 
and uh, and that's certainly the way I feel about things. Okay, so coming down here, Camp 3, 24.36 miles. You can see here, I'm just kind of showing off the topographical map. This uh, third day here, not too bad. Kind of pulling away from the canyon. Not a whole a lot of elevation change happening there. Now, it seems to me, like on the fourth day, we had the most massive climb ever. If Let me see if I can find it. All right. I didn't find it on my map. My map is old and uh, was done with a printer that was 15 years old, but here's on the official map here. We come out of this here, uh, here area here where we can't spend the night, and we come up again right along the edge right here. And right here, where it starts to deviate from the edge of the canyon, from the top edge of the canyon, right here you see it starts to climb up that topographical you see the lines are very dark and shaded here very tight tight together that shows just how steep that enormous canyon is and we had to climb kind of up along the edge of it until we then cut further in right up to the top I remember that just being <laughs> a really long arduous trip right there and uh, it's only marked as like two miles here on the topographical map but you know think about like climbing out of Grand Canyon uh, it's so steep in portions of it that two miles two miles of hiking that steep is enough to it's a ball buster you know that, that uh, what I'm referring to is the actual Grand Canyon, not not the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon, the, the actual Grand Canyon. When you're coming out, it's so steep in areas that to say, well, it's just two miles. Yeah, but it's like walking up stairs for two miles. It is really, really taxing. So two miles here on the map, uh, but it, I remember it being very, very difficult. And uh, then coming out, check this out. Here's what I remember about coming out. You see on the topographical map here, this holler, this canyon that comes down like this. You're starting to get a, a feel for the, the topo map. Uh, this was just enormously long. Again, this is just one mile. But I remember, and by the way, it's harder on my knees going down a mountain than it is going up a mountain. I ain't saying one's more pleasant than the other. I'm just saying it's harder on my knees going down the mountain. But uh, a whole mile here of just down this huge, long drop down back down into the bottom of the gorge where you're then down along Pine Creek. Uh, I've been calling that a river, but it's actually called Pine Creek. Uh, I, th I, th I think it's classified as a river, but, but it's called Pine Creek. Anyway, so now you're starting to get a, a good sense of the topographical map. So when I'm planning a trip, I take all these things into consideration. Elevation gain, elevation loss, and then you'll have these periods like right here where you're just, you're just following the canyon. Now, you'll come into these areas where you kind of get like up to the top of a, of a mountain range, and then you've got these plateaus and plains and stuff up at the top. And it's just kind of rolling. Well, when I look at that on a topographical map and I see that there's no 
there, there's no real elevation change, I know I can put in 10 miles that day, even stopping and smelling the, the roses and stuff like that. It's going to be a very kind of leisurely day. Uh, I really enjoy those days. But something to consider also is that when you get in kind of those flat areas and those flat terrains, there's not a lot of interesting stuff happening either. So it's not a, the payoff is not as great. The biggest payoffs come with the greatest effort put into the thing. So if you want to see the great views, if you want to get down and see the, the water, beautiful waterfalls, beautiful streams and creeks and all these changes in plant life and tree life and stuff like that, you just kind of got to commit to uh, the, the less pleasant type of uh, hiking. You got to put yourself through a little bit of discomfort to really see some things. I remember on this trip, on this uh, western trail, coming up this mountain you know i'd had my head down i was deep in thought had my head down had a staff in my hand uh, that i was using to as a center pole for my shelter but i was using it as my walking stick and kind of head down just one foot after the other climbing 2,000 feet get to the top and uh you know just kind of absentmindedly in my own thoughts uh, and i glance over and look and this trail we've climbed this mountain and it's just a straight drop off on one side but i mean you could see out forever and this was this was once we got away from all the crowds and everything it was just a really really wonderful thing so i hope that gives you guys some ideas uh ideas ideas and that uh that's the way i do it i find a good place to start i look at the elevation profile it gives me an idea of where all the the real efforts going to go you know a lot of times it's nice to get all the hard stuff or the harder stuff out of the way for the first two days and then kind of have a leisurely way out or you might want to do it in reverse and um, start off with uh, the easy stuff and kind of end with the hard stuff it's entirely up to you there's not one there's not a right way or a wrong way but what i will tell you is that for example um, I'm going to be getting started on a Thursday on this upcoming trip. Some things I have to take into consideration is how long is it going to take me to drive to the trailhead? Well, in this case, it's going to take me about six hours. Six, yeah, right around six hours. How am I going to be feeling after six hours of being stuck in the car and driving all day? Am I going to want to hop right out of the car? Am I going to want to climb this beast of a rise right here and then hike 10 miles? Uh, probably not. Probably not. What I'm probably going to want to do, especially if I've got that amount of effort to put in at the beginning, what I'm going to want to do, uh, let's say I get there, even if I get there at noon, maybe I'm just going to want to climb that, get that out of the way, and hike in three miles, and set up camp, get a good night's sleep. That way the next day I can put in a, a bigger, longer day, be more rested. What if on the first day I've got no climb? What if it's just kind of rolling hills? Well, maybe maybe I will want to put in six, seven, ten miles on that first day, even after a six-hour drive. But what I typically prefer to do is do all my driving, get a hotel, stay that first night in a hotel, you know, within an hour or two from the, the trailhead, and then uh, get a good night's rest. The next morning, get up, have my breakfast, 
get to the trailhead by you know nine o'clock in the morning and then be able to put in a bust out a full day have a nice camp on that very first night but again if you're taking other people with you you got to factor that in so on this trip i'm taking two guys that uh, have never been out there before i got to take into consideration what they can do reasonably what they reasonably can't do and um what's going to make the experience uh uh most enjoyable for them but at the same time i don't have the freedom uh to say well just off the cuff i'm going to get a room and i'm going to extend this another extra day you understand what i'm saying so like let's say i go up there on thursday and instead of hitting the trail on thursday i go yeah you know what i think i'm going to get a room tonight and i'll go out on the trail uh, tomorrow well in order to do that i have to extend it an extra day so whatever i've told them like we're going to go in on thursday we're going to come out on tuesday and i've planned the trip with that in mind i can't just uh, arbitrarily add another day all willy-nilly because maybe that doesn't work for them maybe they absolutely have to be back on the day that i said that i would get them out now here's another thing what you want to do anytime you're going out into a backcountry situation is in the the weeks leading up to it you want to be checking the forecast for the town nearest to the wilderness area where you're going to be in and this is not always easy because the a lot of the times these uh, towns that are nearest to where you're going to be are dots on the map really really small towns and uh, there is no dedicated weather forecast for that little tiny town so then you have to go to the next town and see if there's a weather forecast for it go to the next town find out if there's a weather forecast for it and what happens is that in mountains mountains create their own weather so if you're looking even if you're looking at the nearest town and you're checking out their forecast and everything and you say well look at that the the town is only three miles from where we're going to be that is not necessarily the forecast you can expect to get yourself once you get up in those mountains especially at elevation change and stuff like that so what i'm looking at you should be seeing here on the screen this weather forecast for the town the nearest town where i'm going to be here in the next couple of weeks i've looked up I'm, i've been watching the weather forecast as it comes that's going to help me decide do i want to take a, a just a a really light down quilt do i want to take my 50 degree sleeping bag do i want to take a, a sleeping bag that's rated for even lower than that uh, what kind of shelter do I want to take? All these things. Uh, and here, here's something to keep in mind. Where I'm going is further east than where I'm at, further northeast than where I'm at. And so they are traditionally about three weeks behind me where I'm at currently in the seasonal change. So I have to take that into consideration too. You know, it was 90 degrees here today. 91 degrees here today. And a mistake that a lot of folks make is when they're planning for these things, well, they're out there, I mean, they're sweating their hoochie-hoochies off, and they're not thinking, well, where I'm going, the conditions could be completely different. And so they they pack as if it's going to be also exactly the same where they're going, and, and, it, and it's not. So I've been watching the forecast. I'm looking at the lows every night. That's really what I'm interested in. I'm not so much interested in the highs during the day i just plan it's summer i'm planning it's going to be hot and sweaty the lows during the night is what i'm really looking at and that'll help me decide 
again like the the type of shelter i want to take the type of uh, insulating blanket i want to take or sleeping bag uh, do i want to take long johns do i want to take my toboggan do i want to take gloves uh, those sorts of things so even though it's summer you know it, it can get it can get cold at night even here so imagine where i'm going to be where they're like three weeks behind me seasonally now i start thinking well what was it like three weeks ago for me here well three weeks ago for me here uh, it was dropping down to darn near 30 into the 30s so that's a potential for the area where i'm going at especially at a high elevation if i end up sleeping at any high elevations which i usually don't because as i've told you in the past i like to be near water and water is almost always uh, at a lower elevation i like the streams and the streams especially brooks uh, much better than i like creeks and rivers much much less chance for contamination in brooks and streams than there are in creeks and and i don't carry a water filter well let's see anything else i want to talk about here you can hear the pups there they're starting to wake up get chatty and playful it's about that time they're six weeks old now i'm actually starting to get sad thinking about them going away and uh, going to other homes and everything but it's just been a pleasure to help bring them into the world to be uh, working with them and taking care of them every day has been a lot of work but uh, it's been a lot of fun too a really great blessing and and i'm i'm so happy with the two dogs that i've chosen and i'm looking forward to getting them out there in the next few weeks for uh, training so hopefully be getting a lot of good videos i got this uh, this trip coming up which i'm really looking forward to getting some footage of and doing some interesting things while i'm out there sharing that with all of you as uh, an adventure video and uh then after that the pup is going to be weaned and ready to to start getting out there with me and I, i'm gonna try to get him out there three four times before summer's over and and even into the fall and the winter time so uh i think that's all i've got right now to share with y'all uh i know as soon as i turn this off that there's going to be all these things that i is going to say well darn it i really wanted to say this and i really wanted to share that and uh, i just kind of did it off the cuff tonight because the pups have been keeping me so busy but i i hope i explain myself well what you're looking at is really you want to you want to understand these topo maps and get a sense i mean it, it the the beauty of it is that it makes you feel like you're right there you can feel the exertion that you're going to have to put into that section of the trail whereas a regular map doesn't doesn't give you that it, it doesn't give you a sense of the exertion that's going to be you're going to have to put into that but with a topographical map you get a sense of the exertion you're going to be putting yourself through you're imagining yourself with the weight on your back the heat on your body or the the rain pelting you and you having to climb that mountain or you walking across that ridge or you walking across that plain and you say well yeah so now that i can imagine the exertion i got to put into that i could easily see myself putting in eight hours a day or, or, or an eight mile day or putting in a 12 mile day and then you look at the next section of the trail so then you know you put your campsite you put an alternative campsite you maybe put a second alternative campsite and then you look at the next section of trail and you see all of these rises and falls 
along the the topographical map all these elevation changes and you and you get a sense of the exertion that you're going to be putting into that and you go well that is going to drain me pretty quick so maybe i want to cut back on my mileage plans for that day maybe i'll only do five miles maybe i'll do six miles maybe i'll get up i'll lounge around have a really spectacular breakfast and just kind of enjoy my morning and only put in three or four miles but see a bunch of stuff along the way that's how you use a topographical map i hope this is helpful uh, i've got a feeling that as soon as i turn this off like i said i'm gonna i'm gonna say that didn't turn out as well as i had imagined it i should have uh, maybe i should have uh, created a, an, an actual outline for the for the program rather than just playing it off the cuff but i hope it's helpful for you for you folks and for you folks who already know how to read topical topographical map and all that uh, i hope you enjoyed hearing a feller like me talk about it ladies and gentlemen thanks for joining me here with the practical woodsman and uh i hope to see you real soon take care